Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing amazing. It's great to spend another day with you today. Um, I am doing great. We are getting close to maternity leave. (laughs) So I will be actually taking a a break coming here soon. Uh, we have a few more episodes that we're going to air before we do that and take off the air for a few weeks. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to catch up on the other episodes you haven't heard yet. (laughs) Some of you, some of you guys have expressed that you have done all of them. Um, But today is a great day because one, um, the interview that we're airing today is so amazing. And um, it's with Sahara Rose. And some of you guys may have heard of her. Some of you guys may be devout podcast listeners of hers. So it was really cool to have her on the show today. And we talk so much about soul's purpose and I'm I'm really just excited to kind of um, let you hear what it is that she has to offer. She's just such a wealth of information. Um, in addition to, you know, lear- like figuring out, at least for myself, like I'm learning even this week, like how my soul's purpose is shifting, um, how I'm tapping more into uh, what my unique dharma is and um, and just seeing how like growth works. (laughs) Um, you know, we think we found one thing and then we do it for a while and it's like, Ooh, I'm seeing this expanding into other layers and different facets of who I am and, and who I'd like to be. And that being, you know, just a really, really cool process and getting to see that expand also to seeing how, like, it's kind of like you're a snake with some skin and it's starting to shed. And there's a mourning process in that, how you're starting to feel, um, you know, different parts of yourself that are, are like, oh, okay, this is, this is, this is a stage that's ending for me. Um, and this is, there's a new stages, sorry, new stage that's being birthed here. And like that sometimes can be an emotional process to kind of deal with. So moving into this next chapter in my life, I was having this little bit of a, uh, not a, not a breakdown at all, but like this kind of low hum sadness, that I was feeling, um, the last like couple of weeks. And my partner was like, Hey, you know, like what's going on? And I was like, I don't really know. And knowing that I've been giving and giving and giving so much, um, of my, my time and energy to, to helping other people, I noticed, I was like, Holy shit, I haven't had like a therapy session or, um, you know, like to talk to someone, a spiritual, whatever in over a year and a half. <laughs> and so I haven't been doing that maintenance on myself. So we sat down and um, <clears throat> he helped me do some shadow work and, and did some exercises with me. Um, I'm fucking so thankful for this man, my God, um, to sit down and really like bring out what my fears were, what I was, um, you know, holding in and what, what I was, you know, not necessarily letting my body acknowledge in this process of this massive shift that's about to happen in my life. And so what I wasn't acknowledging because I was still trying to like truck along. So I got very, very intimately in depth with, um, you know, some of my, my fears of being scared of my loss of freedom or loss of identity. Um, my fears of, you know, the dynamic in our relationship changing or, um, aspects of, you know, damaging my body, (laughs) uh, through this, this, through this change and feeling very, almost like I had been invalidating and gaslighting myself through that. Like I shouldn't feel this way, but I do feel this way. 
and and having someone kind of bring up and say, hey, these are things that are valid. Like let yourself allow yourself to, you know, pay attention and give space and honor those things. Uh, so that way you can move forward and move through it, um, regardless of what the fear is and regardless of what the fear looks like. You know, nothing is too dumb to um, access or admit. And starting to recognize too that those things that I was holding on to was getting in the way of my excitement of what I was so, you know, what I'm what I'm super excited to happen, <laughs> but not not getting to acknowledge what I was suppressing underneath. And so it was getting in the way of, you know, what I would say part of my soul's purpose because I wasn't giving the due diligence to also the shadow side of what that means to level up or become more complex or have a different stage in your life start to occur. So very, very interesting stuff. Um, to give you guys some updates, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, um, you know, we're going on a, a leave, so we won't have any episodes for about four to six weeks. And, um, this is not the last episode, but there will be coming a last one, pretty soon before we take that break. Um, you know, I just noticed that like, there's a lot of content going out constantly. And so what I want to do is, is for those of you who, um, really want to invest in the show or have been invested in the show, if you still would like to get some of those updates, I'm going to do them exclusively on Patreon for those times. And so those people will get to meet the baby. We might have some live chats, uh, there may be a workshop here or there. Um, there's going to be a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I'll update over there. Um, so if you'd like to be a part of our community on Patreon and help support um, me uh, and the show through this time where we're taking a little bit of a step back, but also step forward in a different way, um, then definitely join Patreon to be a part of our community and have um, just a closer relationship with me. I will actually have be able to talk via DM and and all the, the good stuff. So um I also have just some really fun shit I want to do over there that I can't do on the podcast because like you guys can't see me. So um, that's it for our announcements. Uh, let's get into this amazing episode. Are you ready to manifest incredible love? Not just love, but healthy, meaningful, aligned love. Hi, I'm Aaliyah Lovely, the host of Chart Topping Podcast, Spiritual Shit. And I'm Shireen Eskandani, coach and founder of Wholehearted Coaching. We've both manifested amazing partnerships and want to show you how to do that in your own life by unlocking your energy and mindset. So we've created Manifest Them, the online course to call in your soulmate. With over six hours of content, worksheets, bonus meditations, and breathwork exercises, this course will show you exactly how to shift your beliefs and frequency to manifest your equal and capable partner. This course will not only teach you how to call on your soulmate, but also how to nurture a loving, healthy relationship. If you're interested in finding love or finding out more about how to manifest, head over to manifestthem.com. Open the door, love, and step into the partnership you've always desired. Sahara Rose is an ancient soul in a modern body. She has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift by Deepak Chopra, who wrote the foreword of her best-selling book, Discover Your Dharma, to which, she is to which she is also the author of Eat, Feel, Fresh, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, and a Yogic Path Deck and Journal. She also hosts the Highest Self Podcast, the number one spirituality podcast on iTunes with over 25 million downloads. I'm jealous. <laughs> Sahara Rose is the founder of Rose Gold Goddesses, the Sacred Sisterhood Collective, all about embodying the goddess within with over 2,000 worldwide members. She's also a keynote speaker speaking on stages of Google and Facebook, as well as being featured as the nutrition speaker for Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign at Harvard Medical School and in Vogue, Forbes, NBC, and so much more. Recently on the cover of Nationwide Print Magazine Yoga Journal, Sahara Rose is on a mission to remind people of their highest selves so they can share their gifts with the world and raise the vibration of the planet. Sahara is known for making spiritual and Ayurvedic wisdom fun and relatable so it can serve the needs of today's people, and she believes the key to spirituality is embodiment. When she's not writing books, recording podcasts, or facilitating workshops, you can find her dancing, DJing, and drumming. She's here to remind you of your purpose so you can embody your sacred mission on this planet. 
please welcome Sahara Rose to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today we have here Sahara Rose, who is just an abundant light of you just channel to people, you inspire people. Um, I, if you haven't heard of her, you might be under a rock. <laughs> so say, say hey to everybody. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and on your last interview before we <laughs> big. <laughs> We're super excited just because like what you bring is such a vision, I think, to the collective. Um, you're visionary, someone who really brings in, I, I read about your archetypes, <laughs> um, who really brings in a lot of deep and beautiful information to the collective to help raise the consciousness of the planet, um, to help the vibration in ways that... Um, a lot of young people are really looking up to and finding like a big part of their purpose through. So thank you for the work that you do, first of all. Um, second, we have so many things that we can cover today. Um, you know, you released this amazing book, Discover Your Dharma, A Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. Um, and like, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but like you are, what is your story? Like, I want people to know, like, what brought you from this place of, um, you know, this wealth of information that you have and the way that you're able to connect to the universe and bring that to a digestible level. Um, but where did you come from? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a soul who incarnated in a human body and now I'm showing up on this planet doing my damn thing. But essentially my mom was a refugee and my dad was an immigrant. They both escaped from war and revolution in Iran. My mom escaped by foot through Turkey into Europe and then eventually got asylum in the U.S. So wow. two years later, after being in the U.S. and surviving this, you know, war and revolution, they had me here. So I am the first woman in my family to ever work. I'm the first woman in my family to choose who she's married to mm -hmm. and really breaking through a lot of deep, deep ancestral wounds and traumas and patriarchy and suppression. Both of my grandmothers were in child marriages when they were 11, 12 years old. And my uncles were political prisoners brought to jail after the war. So I saw firsthand what a lack of freedom looks like, what a lack of purpose, a lack of even having a thought of, oh, maybe, maybe I have a dream and this matters, or maybe my desires really mean something. It was really just about how can I survive? And I really believe that we all chose our parents and our upbringings for a reason, because it really gave me a front row seat into what do these systems look like? Mm. And from a young age, I could always feel that I was here to help people. I felt this feeling of like responsibility. You know, I was able to be born here. I have this freedom. I have this ability to share my voice. So I owe it to the planet to be of service. So that kind of created my identity on, I need to save the world, which, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people can relate to this like deep responsibility, but then the shadows that it comes with of I'll sacrifice myself. I'll do whatever it takes to help others. And I would look at these figures like Gandhi and mother Teresa. And I'm like, okay, they died for the cause. So I should also die for the cause. So I was going on this path of being an international human rights lawyer. I moved to DC. I was the president of Amnesty International, organizing major protests, like doing a lot of on the ground human rights works, working with orphans in Zimbabwe, working with victims of sex trafficking in India, um, working with, with people who were in basically working in factories because they were affected by Agent Orange, which is the chemical that was used in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. So blind, deaf, mute who major corporations take advantage of them and cause them to work in factories and teaching them about worker rights. So really on the grounds, helping people on this human rights level. And when I was in college, you know, working at this nonprofit organization for immigrant and refugee rights, I've, I found that I wasn't really making a difference in the way that I desired. I felt like there was so much bureaucracy, so much red tape. The more you learn about these systems, you, the more you realize how corrupt many of them are, like the UN and so many others. Yeah. And I felt like all of my time was being used to raise money for a fundraiser, but then all of the fundraiser money would be spent on the next fundraiser. And I wasn't really being of service. And I always loved to write. I was always, you know, a creative person. And even as a kid, I was deeply spiritual, but that was actually really shunned upon. I, I actually was thrown down a hill by the kids at school for being a witch. So I had to like <laughs> relive the burning of the witch in this lifetime. So I never knew how I could ever have a career for myself doing anything creative or anything like that. But I just knew that the path that I was on was not right for me. And at this time, source gifted me with health problems. My body began to shut 
shutting down. I went into perimenopause when I was 21 years old. So when that happens, you stop producing any hormones in your body. And when you are no longer producing hormones, when you're 21, by the time you're probably 50, you'll become handicapped because of the osteoporosis. And you'll of course never be able to have a kid. So I had to take the focus. How can I help the world to, how can I just heal myself? How can I even like survive in this world? And that brought my focus to the first time to nutrition, health, wellness, which then later brought me deeper into different ancient health systems. Then I finally relearned about Ayurveda. I had heard of many Ayurvedic things and in just like my grandmother would always speak about this is cooling or this is warming, et cetera. But I never took it seriously until then when I took this dosha quiz, which are the Ayurvedic archetypes. And under this one archetype, it was like, everything about my health, but also aspects about my personality. Like you're creative, you love to travel, you think outside the box, you're big picture oriented and like all of my digestive issues and bloating and gas and like all of that too. And I was like, wow, for the first time I feel so understood. You know, every doctor would tell me, you know, take antidepressants, take hormone replacement therapy, do this, do that. And for the first time, it was really under one archetype that was even beyond my body, but into my spirit. And that's what really got me obsessed with learning everything I could about Ayurveda. And at this time I was volunteering in India, working at, in the slums of New Delhi, teaching health and sanitation. And I decided to take Ayurveda school. So instead of me teaching them about health, how can I learn about health from, Mm. you know, the ancient cultures there. And from doing Ayurveda school, I ended up studying Ayurveda for two years in India, becoming an Ayurvedic practitioner, and then eventually writing different books on it. So that's sort of how I got started. I think the universe puts you in the microcosm of the macrocosm that you're here to solve. And that was how it began for me. Hot damn. Okay. (laughs) Did you guys catch all that? (laughs) I mean, you've lived so many lives in a a short, can I ask how old you are? 30. Holy cow, girl. Okay. Um, that's incredible. Do not, you guys do not be intimidated by that list, (laughs) but it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, obviously you're someone who's super driven and that's, you felt a lot of passion in the things that you were doing and that you were learning. Um, I understand that level of energy and passion, just always constantly wanting to absorb and soak in what this experience, what this incarnation is, is taking and some other life. I'm sure you didn't get to finish what you wanted to finish and you came in here running and gunning. So (laughs) that's really, really cool. Um, so I want to, I really want to dig into, um, this concept of Dharma and, and what that is and what that means, because I think especially deeply right now, uh, you know, with COVID and the 2020 and everything that like how our worlds have really been turned upside down. There's so many people that are in this position where they're having to take this deep introspective look at their life and they're having to re kind of course and go, is this something I really like to do? Do I not like want to do this anymore? Are these the people I want to hang out with anymore? Is this my purpose and feeling this deep, you know, excitement, but also like dread about like feeling like, I I don't even know where to start or what that looks like. And so first, can you tell us like what the concept of Dharma is and then give us an idea a little bit more about how people can find it? Mm. So, you know, when I was going through those different health problems and when so many people go through experiences, we think it's because I didn't eat right or because I didn't meditate enough or whatever thing I didn't do enough of, but really, health is the byproduct of being in alignment with your purpose, because when you're living your purpose, you are naturally in the flow of what you are here to do. So the term Dharma, the original ancient form of it in Sanskrit, which is the ancient language that was spoken in modern day India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, the word Dharma means your soul's purpose, the big reason why you are here. And now there's different interpretations of it. But when I say the word Dharma, to me, it's like your mission statement. It's why you do what you do and how you do it. So it's so much more than just one career or one role or one job, but it's really the red thread that connects everything in which you do. So for example, someone's dharma may be to bring beauty to the world and they may do so by being a hairdresser and graphic designer and a wedding planner and a florist and all of these different physical manifestations of how that can show up. But the dharma is still the same. They're bringing beauty to the world and their unique energetic frequency. So we can think of 
there are millions of yoga teachers out into the world, but we all have our favorite yoga teacher because of the way that they sequence things and the stories they tell and just the energy that they give. So it's not being a yoga teacher. That's your Dharma. It's the way that you are that yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of your Dharma as that mission statement. And then the different careers, roles, projects, et cetera, are sort of like the services under it, but they're not the whole thing. So at this time, just like you said, Pew Research has found that 70% of people in the U.S. right now are seriously considering leaving their jobs. And this has never been at a higher level in modern day history. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are realizing that we've been living the same day over and over and over again, and that there must be something bigger for us out there, but we don't know what that is. And the issue is we don't know who we are. So how are we going to know how to manifest our Dharma when we don't even know who we are on a soul level? So your Dharma is really the intersection of both. Who am I? And then how can that be a natural interpretation of how I can share my energy with the world? Mm. Preach. Okay. Because (laughs) I love this concept because one, I think that a lot of times people consider their purpose in the world, their career. And what you said is like, it's not necessarily the yoga teacher, but how you bring the energy into the world. And then something else I heard on a podcast you did um, is the idea essentially kind of of surrender. Uh, This idea of like, um, you know, like a lot of us go out and we're like, what's going to make us money? Or I'm excited about this thing and how can I get it to happen? But not necessarily like universe, what do you have for me? And in that regard, letting ourselves be led to what the next thing is, and that there's also several, several chapters to what that may look like. And so it's not that we made a mistake or changed our mind as much as it's like, this is the next chapter or like a further deeper layer of what it is that we're here yet to discover. Um, I think that like, so as far as like people getting into that concept, you know, like, how do they find it? They understand what it is, but now that they're in this kind of circumstance where they're really trying to figure out who they are, what their identity is, um, in your opinion, what does that look like for them? And what is that, how did that journey come to you? Mm. So the first place to start to understand your Dharma is to understand what stage of Dharma discovery that you're at, because someone may be deeper in the journey and someone may have just had that realization. So I have these five stages. The first stage is just the self-awareness, the seeing the trajectory that your life is on and noticing if I don't make a shift, I'm not going to be happy about this lifetime. And, you know, the number one regret of the dying is I wish I lived my purpose. I wish I did what I love. So I think a lot of people, because of 2020, they entered that stage one of, I don't know what I'm meant to do, but something needs to shift. For me, it was in DC working those jobs. I don't know what's meant for me, but this can't be it. So that's Mm -hmm. really that stage one, the self-awareness. Then we naturally go to stage two, which is self-improvement. So We can't live our dharmas and our highest selves when we have all of these habits that are not serving us, or we can't focus, or we have all of these limiting beliefs, et cetera. So self-improvement is how do I become my best self? It's typically on the mental and physical level. So for someone, it could be through their fitness or their health or their nutrition journey. For someone else, it could be through therapy, meditation, meditation. You know, it's, I wouldn't say quite yet. It's like breath work. It's more like Tony Robbins or just most of the self-help space is here. And it's a really important space to be on. Sometimes in the spiritual community, we like skip into the 5D. We haven't quite mastered the 3D. (laughs) So it's, okay, meditation for focus, or how do I not, you know, have so much sugar that's making me feel really tired at the rest of the day. So just improving yourself. And it's a beautiful stage to be in, but it's not the final journey either, because Mm -hmm. you realize eventually through doing this, like through my own health journey, I was just so obsessed. How can I have perfect digestion? Like this was like the goal of my life. And then I was like, wait, is my lifetime about having perfect digestion? Like, am I going to get a gold star? Your digestion is on fleek. You did that girl. Like that is not why I'm here, but health is really the purpose of health or the purpose of any of these things is so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Like when you're sick, all you can think about is how can I get better? Then once you get better, it's what do I want to do with this energy? So from stage two, we have this realization. I am not just a mind and body to improve, but rather I am a soul to know. Mm -hmm. 
So instead of trying to fix ourselves and get better and hack, hack everything, you know, we go into, wait, I am an entire ocean of which I've only known a drop of. So how do I get to know myself on this deeper level? And that's when you enter a spiritual awakening stage three. So that could look like so many different ways for people. Some people it's astrology or tarot. Some people it's Buddhism, Tantra, Abraham Hicks, Ayurveda, list goes on, Mm -hmm. but it's really about getting to know yourself on a soul level rather than trying to tweak or judge or improve. It's just, who am I? And this is a very powerful stage to be. And I'm going to guess a lot of podcast listeners are here in stage three of just like, whoa, there's a whole like Disney world of the soul out there. And I didn't (laughs) know about this, but it can also be a very overwhelming stage Mm -hmm. because it suddenly feels like the veils have been lifted and there's all of these things that no one has ever taught us about. And it can feel very separated from the outside world of like, we need to wake up the sheeple. We are awake. (laughs) They are asleep. How can we wake them up? And, you know, I used to be like that too. Like I would write these poems and I'm like, we live in a box. Society is a box. Our minds are a box. Like when will we get out of the box? And it's a natural way to feel. It's a natural way to be like, I'm experiencing so much more. How come you are not? However, if we remain there, it creates the sense of separation with the world outside of us. Mm. That I am here, the spiritual chosen one, and you are the asleep sheeple people. And <laughs> you're like, I know them, you mm-hmm. know, but yes. it can create, you know, because we're all born on this planet. So we all have some karma. We all have some role to play here. Mm-hmm. And this can also be very intense on the nervous system to remain yeah. here, to be in this like frantic wake up the people state. So in this stage three, we start to find the tools and the practices that work for us. Maybe it's breath work, sound baths, maybe it's hypnosis, shamanism, something for each person. Podcasts. Podcasting. (laughs) Exactly. And then maybe certain podcasts really resonate with you. Go down the rabbit hole on that thing. And then you start to find what are my tools? What are my modalities? And then even deeper than there, now, how do I see things? You know, Mm -hmm. Abraham Hicks said that Buddha said that, what do I see here? Or it could be this interior designer does it this way. And this one does it that way, or this chef, it doesn't even need to be about spirituality, but we begin to really research and study this, this stage is really spiritual development. How can I research study, see the way that it has been done before. And this is also very important because we're not going to like create the new paradigm when we were like, have no idea what has existed and influenced the world that we're in today. So it's a deep study deep research, deep focus. So for people who are in that spiritual awakening, move into stage four, pick one thing, really dive in deep, deep into, for me, it was Ayurveda for someone else. It could be something else. And it doesn't mean it has to be your life's work, but to give something that level of focus to, I think sometimes we try to like shake things up, but we don't understand why they were the way that they were. So like from deeply studying, it would be like, okay, here are the ways that maybe society has shifted since then, or the ways we can make this more, um, culturally diverse, et cetera. So stage four is a deep research, deep development, really focusing on your own lane. Then you start to find your own way of seeing the world and you begin to share it. And then you begin to get feedback by others. And then you kind of start to tweak it and you have some more trial and error. And then you get more confidence and you get more feedback and you narrow it down even more. And then before you know it, you are expressing your Dharma. And through expressing your Dharma, you then begin to embody that Dharma. Mm. So the embodiment is when you move past information into being the living example of it. It doesn't need to be, well, it says this, it's I'm showing up as this. Mm. And this is stage five, that Dharma embodiment. And really the biggest shift that happens here is your focus moves from me to we. Mm -hmm. So the prior stages had to be about me. How do I practice self-care, boundaries, self-love, all of these different facets, but your Dharma really isn't about you. (laughs) It's really about how you can be of service to humanity. And, you know, the universe is benevolent, so it designed it to feel good for you, but it's really about how you can raise consciousness. So the things that fuel you up shift. It's no longer, okay, how do I like get through today and take a bubble bath? Like that's still going to be great, but it's doing your Dharma, being on this podcast, working with your client, you know, sharing your product with the world, that is the thing that fuels you up. And in fact, you can feel like you're tapped into the cosmos and the energy is just fueling through you because you are connected to something larger than you. Mm -hmm. And in this phase two, we look at all facets of our lives that are not even directly related to our Dharma and we clear them. So maybe old friendships, like some, Mm -hmm. some weird dynamics and friendships happening or in your home, 
in with your family, et cetera. And you realize that if each, if there's any murkiness in any of those cabinets, it's going to keep you back from being of service to humanity. So you really find pure alignment in all of these different categories of your life so they can support and be in alignment with your dharma. And every single person has access to this. It's our birthright. It's why we are here. It's not reserved for the few and holy. I used to think like only Justin Bieber and people like him could have a dharma and (laughs) us mere mortals just, we don't have that voice, but all of us are, we wouldn't be born here. Like there are no extras, the nature, think of the perfection of nature. And we are a part of this. It's just our systems and our society have created so many roadblocks and barriers that have caused us to question who we are and question our intuition. So we feel so far away from that. But the truth is we were all born here to be fueled and energized and in service and in joy through what we are doing. Amen. Okay. I hope that you guys can hear in her voice that she is, she is tuned into her Dharma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I can, it, it is plunging through. And I think what's beautiful and what you kind of highlighted a little bit here, um, this, this idea of these phases that you go through, I like the number two. Um, this is what a lot of my clients and a lot of people that DM me a lot of times, is like, how do I get to this part and this clearing process that needed to happen? Um, something that's important that, um, I saw you highlight once where we talk about our family when they're not supportive of our Dharma. So like I stepped into this podcast, um, October, 2019 or something like that. So we're a year and a half in almost a million downloads, right? My family does not listen to my podcast Um, and I grew up super Christian. And so I have this like whole background of of these things that I had to go through that I had to clear out in order to get to this part of my identity where I was like, I am someone who wants to bring consciousness to the world. And I understand that this is a big part of my identity and what it is that I'm here to bring here, but I'm so scared of being judged. I'm so scared of being rejected. I'm so scared of what this means because certain friendships now are not going to be acceptable here. Uh, It's like a coming out. You're you're coming out and like, oh, this is exactly who I am. Can I be in a position or position myself where I can actually claim it? And then you get to stage three. And that's that awakening process where you're like, holy shit. Okay, I'm in this ocean, like you said. Um, and then feeling like then that conviction of like, everyone else should be in the ocean. You know, um, I did that same thing too. Um, just everybody has to know. And it's like, and people who aren't ready to hear it are like, yo, like I need you to get off my back. Okay. Cause this, I'm not ready for that. Um, so what do, what do you have for people who are kind of in that process of self-discovery where they're starting to find their identity? They're starting to recognize that they see themselves separate from where they used to be and how they're having to now clear out some of those friendships, clear out some of those relationships. Maybe you're not clearing out your parents, but you're having to understand, I have to step into my own lane. This is who I am. Um, how to, how do they learn how to embody that and embrace that? Mm, So my biggest, you know, roadblock I'm putting in air quotes, but the, the lesson I needed to learn was exactly that with my own family. So they were very against me trying to live my purpose because they didn't understand what it was. They didn't know how I would make money doing this. You want to write a book. You don't even have a book deal on Ayurveda. Like, what are you talking about? You've gone crazy. You're influenced by hippies. And then Mm -hmm. that would get worse and worse and worse to, we sacrifice so much for you. And this is how you repay us you are not our daughter, you are a failure, you're, and the list goes on. And it had to get to the point that I was actually disowned by my father who said, you are dead to me. I don't want a relationship with you and with you anymore, because you are not the type of daughter that I would raise. And at that moment, it felt like, it felt like numbness more than anything, because that's the thing. Like sometimes we're so afraid of what could be said, but when it's said and you survive it, Mm -hmm. you realize that you are stronger than your greatest nightmare. In fact, that nightmare was controlling your life. And sometimes the worst thing that could ever happen to you is the best thing that can ever happen to you because from that you can become free. So when I heard that I am dead to my father, I realized, guess what? I only have myself to live for. And finally, all of those expectations and those times as a child that you want the pat on the head and the gold star and you're good enough, you deserve to be loved. Suddenly you're like, wait, what was I doing that for when here I am as my fullest expression and I am not enough? So were you really looking for a daughter or were you looking for someone to mold? Damn. So from that, this this wave of numbness came over me and I just dropped to my knees. I was in my childhood home because I didn't have money at the time and I had to go back and live with them. And 
I just looked at these dolls that I had as a kid and I'm just like, why did they tell me to follow my dreams as a kid when here I am doing it and it's a disgrace. And that moment I became unfuckwithable. You know what? Then I'm just going to live for myself. And this desire in me to keep proving myself, to make them accept it, to make them get it. Imagine if I put all of that energy into living my Dharma, instead of trying to explain to someone that I should live my Dharma. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, I just, just, I went out there, I did my shamanic shaking and I came back and I'm like, I'm going back to India. They're like, you're what? But there wasn't a quiver or a question or a, I think I should, I'm going back. And I did. And I went back for that next year and I continued on my own dharmic journey. And it actually made it so much easier to stop living for someone else, to stop explaining yourself. I think so many of us as women, we, we want to get the green light by everyone in our lives to mm. live our paths. And that very thing that I needed, the lesson that I needed was to stop living for others approval. Because if I want to raise the vibration of the planet, I can't be waiting for a gold star. I can't be waiting for a pat on the head. I needed to be in that experience in my home field to see if I'm able to overcome this. I don't give a fuck what you say to me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So those very roadblocks that you're experiencing right now, maybe it's through your parents, through your peers, through people you grew up with, even relationships, you know, with parents, it's, it's each of these relationships is unique with parents. We get to understand that yes, we were brought to this world through them, but they do not own us. Mm -hmm. We are sovereign beings. We are souls that chose our parents to come through, but that doesn't mean that we now owe them our lives. And unfortunately the generation before us and many, many, many generations before us since ancient times, there was no concept of living your purpose. You did whatever you could to survive. And in the boomer generation, especially the person who obeyed and, you know, colored inside the lines was the person who would succeed in life. So if they see us taking a risk, going online. They didn't even have the internet. Of course, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to understand these things. So they just want us to be safe. The parent's job, you know, you you have a baby coming your job. I just want to keep you safe, but mm -hmm. sometimes keeping you safe is what keeps you confined. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us as sovereign beings to see, have compassion, you know, how beautiful that they want to keep me safe. And this is my life to live on my own. And I'm never going to be able to be the daughter that I want to be. If I'm forever resentful of them, wondering what could have happened if I didn't listen to you and instead listen to me. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's kind of like the, what I need to hear right before I give birth. Mm -hmm. um, Cause we're naming uh, my daughter's name is going to be Cairo Veda. And uh, Veda, you know what that means already. Um, there's some very heavy spiritual things that happen that that's why her name is. But my most uh, excited thing, we, we wrote it down yesterday, me and my partner, were doing some shadow work stuff together about our apprehensions, our fears. Um, what are we excited about as far as like having this baby? And um, one of the things I'm most excited about is saying is, is that I want to give her freedom of mind freedom of space for her to bloom and be exactly who she wants to be. And even though I have my perceptions of what that may look like, I'm like, Ooh, be a psychic, be this, be that, you know, she might want to be, uh, you know, an accountant. Um, <laughs> but I, I have this, this, this thought knowing that my, my parents, uh, first of all, I feel you on what you like when you said that from your dad, the frequency of your voice, even it's like, that is so painful, but that was the moment you became unfuckable, you know, um, how powerful that is. And knowing that like, I am going because of my past and what I've experienced there, being able to give that to the soul who chose me and saying like, girl, you, you go, you do, you travel, you, you know, um, because I didn't have that same uh, backing that same validation and you're right, especially as those of us who identify as women, especially in our society, feeling always like we need that green light, like we need that kind of approval. Um, so what do you think are some common pathways that people kind of discover these parts of themselves? Um, is there anything in particular that stands out that looks like it, it, there's, there's some commonalities there that people find those, those paths? Yeah. So, you know, I, I have all these different frameworks, but one of the best tools I think for anyone to understand their Dharma, their Dharma archetypes. I have a Dharma archetype quiz that people could take, but understanding. I took it. Uh, oh, okay. I'd love to know yours. So the Dharma archetypes are a type of archetypal system. I'm sure many of your listeners have done different archetypal tests. So archetypes are essentially like personality or even soul types. So 
the Dharma, I have these nine Dharma archetypes, which are the visionary, entrepreneur, teacher, nurturer, um, entertainer, artist, etc. And through understanding your Dharma archetype, it could really help you see what are my gifts? Because sometimes when we're on that path of discovering our Dharma, we don't even know what we're good at. We're like, I don't really know if I have any talents or skills or anything unique about me. And I know I used to feel that way about myself too. So when I started to do some archetype quizzes, I was like, okay, well, I'm this type. So I could see that, you know, these other people who are this archetype may have the same talents as I do. I haven't activated those within myself yet, but I could see, I have the breadcrumbs guiding me there. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend doing the Dharma archetype quiz. What are your Dharma archetypes? I'm gonna let you guess. And I mean, you know, nothing about me, but I'll let you guess. And then I'll tell you what it is. I, I only had two that came up. Okay, cool. I think you have, you know, Teacher, nurturer, visionary. I got visionary and nurturer. Very good. <laughs> Love that. Yes. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about each of them. So, yeah. so the visionary and a lot of people who are drawn to this podcast are going to be visionaries, people who are interested in spirituality. The visionary is here to bridge the new paradigm. We are here to inspire people to see things from a higher perspective. So the visionary's gift is to inspire and to use their gift of their communication to do so. So Barack Obama is such a great example of a visionary. You know, he was able to use his gifts, his charisma, his communication to bring the shared vision of change or Martin Luther King was such a visionary of, I have a dream holding this perspective for a new way that the world can come together. And as we can see, visionaries are often not really liked at the time because <laughs> yeah. they are seeing things that others cannot. So the gift of the visionary is to hold that higher level perspective. And the shadow of the visionary is people around you won't understand you often. Yep. And sometimes as visionaries, we, my mind is visionary. My primary is visionary as well. So sometimes we see like blind spots in people that we keep trying to fix and save and help. And if that person is not ready for it, it's not their time. We can actually get in the way of their growth. And then yeah. that very thing we're trying to prevent them from, they'll project that upon us. Yeah. So it's to know who is open to receiving this, who is wanting this. So for example, people who tune into your podcast are ready to receive the message. But if you go tell the um, fellow peers at your church who are not interested in this, you know, Hey, you should listen to my podcast and what you think is wrong. And da, da, da. like, that's not going to work. In fact, <laughs> it will make them go like double of however right. they feel. So for the visionary it is very important to know when it's being received. Now the nurturer, which is the, the next one that you had is here to connect. Their Dharma is to care, connect, to understand, to hold space. So Oprah is such a great example of this, you know, She's my favorite. Yeah, you totally have that Oprah energy to you. So <laughs> why the world loves Oprah so much is not that she gets on stage and gives this like riveting talk and like gets people on her feet. She's not Tony Robbins. He's the warrior. She's mm. able to sit next to someone and just be like, honey, what's really happening? Mm -hmm. And listen and not be afraid of the pause that so many of us are afraid of. Mm. And to be able to hold space, especially in our society today. It's such a gift. It's such a skill because most of us are so quick to like, the person's not even done talking. We're giving them the advice. Mm -hmm. So the nurturer, they're able to really assist on an energetic level. That's beyond words. Mm -hmm. It's just their vibration of, of holding that energy and that container that allows people to open up to truths that they may not have on their own. So the nurturer oftentimes go into coaching, therapy, nursing, different careers like that, that they can be of service. However, their shadow is sometimes they feel how much people need their nurturing and their love mm -hmm. that they give to everyone else. And they don't have those boundaries and they don't give that same nurturing and love to themselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, Robin Williams, he's a great example. Also, he's like a nurturer entertainer and he was making the whole world laugh and smile, but we didn't know what was going on within. Mm -hmm. So for those nurturers to have those, you know, let's say if you're working with a client, they can't call and text you at all hours of the day and you're going to pick up the phone. You need to have those solid boundaries so they can actually respect the time and they'll be able to take more action that way. And you'll create more autonomy within them. Whereas sometimes in, in, as a nurturer, you can create a reliance on yourself from other people. Cause they're like, nurture me more, nurture me more, right. nurture me more. And you're trying to help, but it can create a dependency. So you know, 
so with your beautiful pair, you have that visionary, that big picture, that speaking, the channeling, the being the bridge for the collective and dropping in one-on-one and having that conversation with your clients, with your podcast um, guests and you know, you're really embodying the two. So I would say you're totally living your dharma. Well, yes. <laughs> it's funny. I was doing some coaching with um, like one of the programs that, you know, Preston Smiles. Yes. Uh, he had a something or whatever. And he was like, you can't be Jesus. Like, stop trying to be Jesus. Everybody stop trying to be Jesus, trying to help everybody without having those boundaries. And I'm, I'm learning that currently. Um, so what are the other, like real quick, what are the other ones that you can, you can, you have? Yes. So the next one is the teacher, which I'm going to guess you have. I have that one too. The teacher's dharma is here to impart knowledge. So you're going to go through life, learning an obstacle, sharing it with others, learning an obstacle, sharing it with others. So it could be, you know, I learned how to heal myself, share it with others. I learned how to find my dharma, share it with others. I learned spirituality, share with others. So probably this is why the universe puts us through shit so we can learn it and then give it to others. Exactly. And we have these different soul contracts with different obstacles that that's why sometimes, you know, coaches shift niches Mm -hmm. because they no longer want to talk about that thing. That's like a obstacle they overcame a really long time ago. So that same passion and even the remembrance of the nuances of the problem may no longer be there. And Mm -hmm. that's beautiful because your Dharma is guiding you to its next evolution. So as a teacher, it's okay to know that you're not here to, some teachers really do talk about one thing forever, but I would say a lot of them, especially when we're more creative types. Mm-hmm. We're going to shift those things that we're teaching about. And then similarly to the visionary, the shadow to look out for is knowing who wants to receive that, that knowledge. But also sometimes we can think of like that history professor in school who is like, okay, the dates of the Prussian war and like giving you all of this information that you might not really need. So the Mm -hmm. teacher really needs to meet people where they're at. So, you know, for example, an old school teacher may be like, I'm not doing the whole internet thing. Like, I don't like internet. I'm sticking to my chalkboard, but people are on the internet. So sometimes you have to put your ego aside of like, I don't want to do reels. Like that's not my thing. But if people are (laughs) watching reels, like maybe that's an invitation to, to do that. So for the teacher to have a little bit more of the fluidity on how you teach. The artist's um, dharma is- Wait, before we go on, let's talk about reels real quick because you have got some mad dance skills. (laughs) (laughs) You guys go to her Instagram and check her out. Actually, so the, the way that I found you is actually through reels. Wow. So I found you through reels. And then there was a, um, sometime last year where my podcast had hit number one. And so when I saw it, number one on iTunes, you were right behind me and I was like, who's this chick? So I've like, that's how, kind of how I found you some time ago, but yes, like you've been able to affect people through a, actually a very different approach than who I'm seeing in front of me today. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't know this side of you yet. I'm getting to know the side of you currently right now. Um, and so it was really cool to see this other, other side of you that brought, that was really disarming and funny and, um, just like super cool chick. I'm like, I want to be her friend. Um, and then having this like incredible knowledge that you have on the other side of it. So yes, continue. Sorry. The artist. Yeah. So that's like my teacher doing the different things. It's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, if they want me to twerk on the reels, I'll twerk on the reels and then I'll bring in the knowledge when they're least expecting it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it, and it's about being honest to yourself too. Like I actually was a dancer growing up and I love to dance and it's fun for me and being on reels and TikTok especially this past year, because we didn't even have it before it brought out my entertainer archetype, which was an archetype that was really, you know, I had it in me. I always loved doing improv and skits and karaoke Mm -hmm. and like that kind of thing as a kid. But then I thought, oh, like, how is that going to fit into my business? You know, that's not spiritual teacher. I got to only wear white and wear mala beads from now on, you know, and then I was like, (laughs) no, my booty can come with me on the spiritual teacher now because, you know, why not? We're here to bridge new ways of sharing. So, so it's all about bringing in your different archetypes to work together. So the entertainer's archetype is here to make people feel. So you might be here to make people laugh, cry, think, ponder, and you play different roles, different characters. So Jim Carrey is such a great example Mm -hmm. of one because he literally morphs and transforms into different characters. And I was watching this interview of him and he's like, the greatest character I've ever played was Jim Carrey. He's like, wow, that was, that was a real trip to play. And, and he's, I mean, at this point he's realized that we're always in character. Like even our ego selves are fictitious, right? Mm -hmm. We don't even really exist. So he, through making us laugh and morphing himself into these different figures, he's raising consciousness. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays Borat and Ali G and Bruno, et cetera, is another great entertainer example that 
he's hilarious and, and wearing these costumes and playing these characters, but he's showing us undercurrents of society yeah. that we weren't aware of before. So that's really a great embodiment of an entertainer. Um, and then the shadow side of the entertainer is sometimes you don't know who you are because you're always playing these different roles. Mm -hmm. So that's why we see in Hollywood a lot of uh, addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, et cetera, because when you feel like you don't know who you really are, you try to numb yourself. Mm -hmm. You you feel like I'm not good enough just as I am. So I need to be playing a role to make you love me. So that wounded entertainer can show up like this. So it's important to know that you don't always have to be making people laugh and, you know, be the center of stage. We can all think of that person that's like the class clown who's hurting inside, mm -hmm. yeah. but they feel like they need to do that to receive love. One of the next archetypes is the artist. So they're here to bring beauty to this world. Everything they do is going to have their unique style or essence to it. So I think of Frida Kahlo as a great example of this, that like if we went to her home or we saw her wardrobe or her art or her anything, we would know it has that Frida essence to it. And you may have some friends, or you may be that person that your Instagram feed, your closet, your home, it has that you sauce to it. And that's really what the artist is here to do. Every medium is an opportunity for expression for them. Mm. So they care deeply about those little things because they're really, they're very energy sensitive. So they're picking up on energy from so many different places, which is why, you know, they can make poetry after a breakup or go to a thrift store and put together a really cool outfit. They see the world as like these different mediums and modalities from which they can create art. This so also me. <laughs> yeah. So you must, I mean, I love your background. So you definitely have you. <laughs> the artistry happening. So, you know, with the artist, it's very important. Sometimes we feel like that's not good enough, right? Mm -hmm. But the world would be a very boring place if we didn't have art. So to know that art is important, even in the great depression, we had Louis Armstrong and these beautiful jazz artists to just make the time more bearable for people. And that in itself is an important Dharmic role to play. Another of the Dharma archetypes is the researcher. So the researcher is here to understand deeply. They're here to ask questions. Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why was this thing shared on Instagram? You know, like they're, they're not going to partner. Yeah. They're not going to blindly share anything. They're going to be doing all of the research about it. And there tend to be two types of researcher past and future past mm -hmm. researchers really want to look into history. Future researchers really want to look into technology, innovation, et cetera. So the researcher is very important because in this day and age, we can be so quick to headline read that we don't look deeply into things. Mm. Um, however, the shadow side of the researcher could be feeling like they never have enough information to take action. So we mm. can all think of that researcher who's like knee deep in all the books and like has like a chalkboard of like all the theories and, you know, has the cure to world hunger, but feels like <laughs> they're not ready yet. So I love to think of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. He is such a great researcher taking the science of spirituality and bringing it out into the world. Deepak Chopra is also a researcher showing people through quantum physics that spirituality and meditation truly exists. So both of them are sort of like researcher, visionary teachers, but we could really see that strong visionary, which is a more analytical and masculine lens of seeing the world. Yeah. Your I partner is that one. Huh? Oh, Your my partner, partner is definitely that one. Like yeah. he, he loves to research so much. And I'm like, you know, you can give it a break. We can go to bed. Like <laughs> He loves to look up stuff and like really, really, he's very highly philosophical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And, and it's like his soul chose to be born with that archetype because he is here to unravel some mystery of the world. So mm -hmm. that's why he's being driven to it. And we have certain phases of our lives that we can be more in one of these archetypes. Like when I was writing my book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, I was very deep in my researcher, but do I want to spend my whole life like that? Personally? No, but <laughs> some people like Deepak Chopra do. Mm -hmm. um, some of the other archetypes are the warrior. So the warrior is here to protect and lead. So they are very in their bodies. They tend to go into fitness a lot. A lot of personal mm -hmm. trainers. If you think about orange theory or CrossFit, mm -hmm. like it's such warrior activities. You're like, you're competing against the other people in class and seeing who's faster and seeing who's stronger. <laughs> and you're only as like strong as the weakest link and warriors love that. They love to feel the camaraderie. 
So I think of Tony Robbins, you know, he gets on stage and it's, it's really about the hype, the energy, the fire. I mean, he yeah. literally has people walk on fire coals. So it's that very embodied warrior grounded energy that is what makes people resonate with him. So he's going to have that warrior, like no matter what happens, you bust through it. You are stronger than this, which is, you know, a warrior is also an ancient archetype. There's nothing right. wrong with that. We've always had warriors in society. And especially when you, you know, you're feeling feeling a bit weak in your life or you're overcome with obstacles. For me, my warrior archetype is my least, but it's the one I've had to do the most work on. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't activate that archetype, then you're not able to support your primary archetype. So right. sometimes that warrior is like the hole in people's pocket that they <laughs> don't want to step into, but stepping into it brings them wholeness. And then just the last couple are the entrepreneur here mm -hmm. to solve the world's problems. And I think that's it we've gone through all and the activist there's the last oh, one the activist yeah yes yeah which um you're partly right is that yes yes, yes. <laughs> that was the beginning of your journey <laughs> very much tapped into I think yeah. these are so you developed these right yes okay so how did you come up with that Where, what was the process in you discovering um because like obviously like this is great for information for our audience but I'm really curious like where did you come up with did you channel it where are you in a position where you're starting to notice these patterns in people like where did you how did you develop that so with the Dharma archetypes, I was noticing different patterns of people studying many different archetypal systems from, you know, astrology is an archetypal system, right. human design, Carl, Carl Jungian theories, Enneagram, um, Enneagram Myers-Briggs, et cetera. And a lot of channel texts as well, Michael teaching Seth, et cetera. And I started to notice these different patterns. And then really I was putting them into the lens of how could this relate to someone's Dharma? So for example, you know, uh, like a healer. There are a lot of healers in our world, but what I say, like in my perspective, healer would be under nurturer because nurturer is a more of a universal archetype. And then healer would be under that category. So I was really like writing down all of the different archetypes I've seen and then kind of shape. It was very researcher actually, like shaping <laughs> together of like, how could this go? And then looking at a lot of old ancient archetypes, which are like the warrior will always be there, but now we have the activist, which is almost like an offspin of it, which I right. find has a different, it has some of the warrior qualities, but the activist didn't really exist back in the ancient days because we didn't really have bureaucracy and governmental structures, et cetera. So it's like a more vocal warrior, you know, a warrior might just be like, my goal is to burn body fat. Whereas the activists like a Marianne Williamson, it's always about how can I make a better world? So it actually came more from like a deep, long study than an immediate channel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause you're a channeler clearly. Yes. Yes. Very, very clearly. Yeah. Um, so like, I want to, I want to move away from the Dharma a little bit. So our guests can just get to know a little more about you. Um, so your channeler. I'm a channeler. Like we have this bridge that we're bringing consciousness through sometimes. And so what does that look like for you? When did you discover that this was kind of a gift of yours? Um, do you have other psychic abilities? Do you have any other kind of connections that you were discovering about yourself through your childhood? Mm -hmm. I always noticed that when I would speak, I never knew what I was going to say, but I would start to speak and the perfect words would show up. For example, even when I'm here, I've never expressed Dharma in the exact way that I've expressed it with you here today. Mm -hmm. And I probably never will again. It's just unique to this one time. And I noticed that when I would show up and have no idea what I was going to say and just begin to speak, it would amaze me what would come through. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I first started my podcast, I would like try to write down like what I was going to say and like, and it never felt fluid to me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I felt like people could even feel that it wasn't that, but I felt like, oh, who am I to just like, off the top of my, off the top of my head, say something, especially when there's no audience there. I'm someone that, especially if there's an audience, I can like channel to an even higher degree. Cause I'm tapped into their energy. I'm also a projector in human design, which is very oh, yeah. like, and I have an open, I have a lot of open centers with my head and my Ajna center are both open. So mm -hmm. I'm really picking up on the collective and then bringing it through with my throat. So I noticed it would come with speaking. And now for me, when I channel it's, I have this sort of idea of something that hasn't quite blossomed yet. Mm -hmm. And I'll either get on a microphone or I'll start writing and I'll just start sharing it through. And that is when source speaks through me. My channeled voice is not a direct entity. Like I'm not channeling like 
Seth or Michael or Abraham or something like that, at least at this point of my journey, it's definitely more so coming through my channel, my experiences. I'm present. I remember all of it, but I can also feel when it's complete. Like mm -hmm. I'm like channeling and then it's kind of like mm, the, the faucet is turned off <laughs> and then I'm like, and then I like re-listen to it and I'm like, wow, that was some really good advice. So oftentimes it comes after movement. So if I'm walking or exercising out of my mind and into my body, that's when it can start to percolate or when I'm in conversations with people as well. So in my human design, I have a four, which is community. I really get a lot of information from my network, from people that I'm interacting with. So maybe like after this podcast, I'll just channel something. Mm -hmm. um, so Automatic writing was also a really yep. helpful practice for me to do. Um, I can channel some of my ancestors, like my deceased grandfather. So that was one of the first ways my parents were able to see that I could channel because I was like telling specific dates that my grandfather would tell mm -hmm. me, which I couldn't have known on my own. Mm -hmm. wow. But most of my most of my channeled stuff right now is more spontaneous. I'm not for, I'm not forcing it. It's more like I'm just. Like that's why I might do a podcast at midnight because that's just when the channel is turning on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you said that so, so much like my own experience as well. I started with automatic writing and started like to ask a question and that started to come through, but a hundred percent, like anytime I've ever had to do public speaking or a mentorship group or something like that, um, lead a meditation, something along those lines, uh, people are like, so what are you going to talk about? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sure. And that's really scares people who need like something. I was like, oh, it'll be something around. It's like bubbling, you know, percolating. You have that feeling of like, it's, it's here. It's I just, I'm not sure exactly. And planning it, I find ruins it too. It does. It yeah. absolutely does. You start to like write shit down and spirits like, nah, that's not what we're talking about. And then, so. and then when you try to go from memory, you're in the mind it's and gone. then people can always feel it. Like if I'm trying to do a video and like hit certain points, it's going to be like the shittiest video ever. <laughs> but if I'm just like speaking and I'm just like in it, it has a different vibration. And I think that that's what we're moving into. It's not so much about the words that people say, it's the energy that they mm -hmm. emit and that can never come through the mind. I know. I mean, I, I love that. It's just a, so for instance, my, I do podcasts every other week. Uh, that's just me. And I don't, usually don't know what I'm going to say or what I'm going to talk about. So I pray and then do the collective. What do we need to hear? Whatever. And I get these and I'm, I'm listening to it. Like, yeah, it's okay. Okay. Whatever. And people are like, oh my God, that's what, exactly what I needed to hear this week. And I'm like, that's crazy. Every week. That's how it shows, shows up. But if I ever get to a place where I'm like, Ooh, I really want to talk about, and I try to make some notes or something like that. It's so shitty. It's absolutely shitty. So it's like, okay, that's gone. Um, so when you are in this process of discovering that you said that with your parents, with your uh, knowing that your grandfather or something, you're able to channel through him. What was that process like for you? Because yes, we talked about your Dharma and how your family was unaccepting of that, but you coming in and being someone who's, as I believe everybody is gifted in some kind of form or whatever, what was that like for you to discover that? Were your parents already accepting of that kind of behavior? Was that part of your religious background? Was that something that was super weird and you were like, I'm, I'm, you know, ridiculous and I, I'm an outcast. How did you process that? Yeah. So it definitely wasn't something I grew up with and my parents still aren't really spiritual. My mm -hmm. dad doesn't even believe in like God or energy or anything. He's just atheist. And my mom like kind of, but she's more like science, you know, mm -hmm. so definitely did not have that background. So for example, when I, um, channeled my, my father's father, his, his his dad who died when he was 15 years old and I'm giving him specific information. He was like, no, you, you knew that he was very much in denial of it. Whereas my mom was like, let me see that because you know, your handwriting shifts, like my handwriting was getting yeah. so small, so neat. There's, I, I can't write like that. So that was more denial, but I, something about me, I always want to be understood. So even if they didn't, even if they're like, that's wrong, I never closed myself or stopped telling them. I kept telling them what I was doing or, oh, I saw this or a bee stung me because it needed to give me its venom. Like you can see this huge bee bite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, wait, I needed some medicine. It's like a natural vaccine, you know? And, <laughs> like, and I, I keep sharing these, these things to them because it slowly opens them up because at least with my parents, they want me in their life. However, you know, for me to be in my, in their lives, I need to be true to myself. So I keep on sharing with them and sharing with them. And even if it's met with disbelief or an eye roller, et cetera, now they have a lot more opened up to it. They're not mm -hmm. doing it themselves, but there's, they're no longer trying to stop me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I think this is important for people to hear because when you start to live 
embodied and exactly who you are and not try to convince anybody for the validation of acceptance, but you just simply are you. It's sometimes the most random thing you end up opening people you never thought would open up ever. Um, I'm not saying my, my parents are still not like in that place. You're, we're, I, I feel you. Okay. We're on the same page here. Um, but there have been friends have, who have come to me who are like, what's manifestation. And, oh, I listened to this podcast and I really resonated with people who are like, who I grew up with in staunch cult, like Christian kind of background or whatever. And I'm like, you of all people, you want to get energy coaching for me? What? You know, so shocked because I'm embodying exactly my purpose and who I am and what it is that I desire to bring to this world, regardless of the validation or hand claps or, you know, whatever it's like, this is, this is what I'm called to do. This is what you're called to do. So those of you guys who are listening, I mean, you've brought us so much, so much information, beautiful information. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more on Patreon to get a little bit deeper into, I want to hear more about this Dharma blueprint and how do you find it, which I think is going to be super valuable. Um, but before we go, um, you know, what do you feel, especially in your Dharma is, has been your greatest purpose and your greatest achievement so far in bringing to the collective? Mm. I really feel like my dharma is to embody the sun, just to bring light and joy to the world. And I see that now that is more needed than ever before. Mm. You know, it's so, it can be so dense and it can be so heavy and it can really feel easier to just be pessimistic about the world and everything's going to shit and everything sucks and we're, we're doomed for. So for me to just keep embodying the sun, what would the sun do? I keep asking myself and the sun would never be like, okay, I'm not going to give light to you because you don't like me or because of whatever reason it would just keep shining. So I am always remembering myself as a joy priestess here to bring joy to the world here to show people that it's possible for you to create from this place of magic that mm -hmm. it doesn't have to feel like sacrifice, you know, like I grew up thinking if I sacrifice the most, then I could help the most people know your Dharma is your highest form of joy with your highest form of service. And especially, you know, creating so much so young in my life and being like, well, now what's next? I'm like, I want to bring ecstatic dance and <laughs> carnival and like the beauty <laughs> of the world, because <laughs> that's really what we're alive for. We're here to live heaven on earth right here. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Uh, I love that you said ecstatic dance. I just discovered ecstatic dance when I went to Bali last year. And I was like, hold on. Like we're outside. We're in the middle of this like gorgeous wood structure or something. And they yeah, have this, yoga barn. Oh man, it was amazing. They had this like DJ kind of playing or whatever. And for like two and a half hours, we're just going at it, mm -hmm. dancing as hard as we could. And I've never sweat like that. I've never sweat like that in my life. Um, and it was, but it, after you were done, you felt so cleansed and excited and happy. It was like, we generated so much energy and it wasn't, it didn't matter who was looking at you. You weren't trying to catch the eyes of the hot shirtless dude over here. You were just in your own energy. And it was ugh, like that. I loved, I missed, I miss Bali anyway. <laughs> um, Sahara, thank you. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for your purpose and your mission and what um, beauty you bring to the earth here. Um, we're going to continue for a little bit on Patreon guys. If you like this episode, please, please, please share this with someone that you love. And I hope that you're in a position right now where you've gone through this year and you've been able to discover what, who am I? And what is it that I really want to bring to this world? What is, what are the limitations that I've been stopping myself or sabotaging myself out of being able to connect to what is going to bring the most joy to my life? what is my dharma amazing oh well I, I could talk to you all day uh can you tell people where to find you yes so i've very much deeply enjoyed chatting with you Thank on you. all of the realms can't wait to chat again soon and yeah. can't wait to see this beautiful star seed be incarnated on the planet <laughs> and the beautiful dharmic journey she will live and people can find me on my website i am saharrose.com you'll be able to find everything there from my books podcast courses etc and my instagram is also i am saharrose beautiful well thank you so much for being on your show it was an honor to be in your presence today and i wish you the best of luck in everything that you do ah uh, thank you so much likewise thank you
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.